0: Welcome to Inspired by Faith, the program of the Columbus Catholic Women's Conference. I'm Michelle Fanley, and I'm joined each week in the studio with my friend, Emily Geminette. This is a show to help you be inspired by our Catholic faith, live out the gospel message, and deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. We hope this show provides an uplifting 30 minutes to help refresh your soul and strengthen your faith. As it was born out of our friendship, we hope it encourages you to deepen and develop spiritual friendships with your sisters in Christ. Well, hello, Emily. Hello, hello. It is great to be here in the studio on this bright, sunny day, and we are talking about a very important topic that is very near and dear to, well, most women's heart, especially mine as a a nurse, so we're going to talk about women's health today, and we are very blessed to have Dr. Alicia Thompson uh, with us today. And we just like to give one little uh, heads up to our listeners that we will be talking about this important topic. But if you've got little ones in the car, you might want to save this and listen to the podcast uh, later, uh, as we will be talking about some really important issues facing women today and about their health care.
1: Sounds like a good plan, Michelle. Thanks.
0: Well, we would like to welcome Dr. Alicia Thompson, who is a board certified OBGYN in private practice in Westerville, Ohio. She served on active duty with the Air Force and after medical school and residency, worked at Wright Pat as an attending physician. She converted to Christianity in 2008, crediting her experiences as a physician as a primary factor in her conversion and became Catholic in 2009. After fully surrendering her vocation as a physician to God's purposes, she learned Napro and FEM methods to treat reproductive health issues without relying excessively on contraceptive means, exclusively on contraceptive means. Today, she cares for women struggling with reproductive health issues and infertility. Dr. Thompson is married and has five children. So welcome, Dr. Thompson.
2: Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on with you ladies today.
0: It's an honor to have you, and I had the blessing of meeting Dr. Thompson when we spoke together at the Converging Roads Catholic Bioethics Conference uh, this past April, and she gave an incredible talk about women and infertility and ethics and caring for women, so I knew she'd be an excellent guest to have on our show today. So we gave a really formal bio, Dr. Thompson, but can you just tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and your faith journey?
2: Yes. As Michelle said, it is an honor to be here today. And I live in Ohio in a rural county with my husband and five children. I always think that my 15-year-old self would be shocked at who I am today. But I have a beautiful story that would too long to go into detail um, over the radio. But effectively, I went from agnosticism to Christianity and then into Catholicism. And I do Credit my work as an OBGYN as being very pivotal in helping me in my conversion story. Around the time I had my conversion, I was wrestling on whether or not I would pursue training in abortion, which I had previously had every intention to do. And I didn't have the words for it at the time. Now I do. But it was my conscience that was convicting me that I should not go down that pathway. I didn't know what that still small voice was, but I went after it and thought, what's preventing me from pursuing something that I had every intention of pursuing, and it was the voice of God. And once I identified his voice, I very quickly became Christian, and I've been following after his heart. And in doing so, his heart has led me to the Catholic Church, and I was received in the church um, and have been a faithful Catholic ever since. In any relationship, some days are better than others, but the Lord's faithfulness has never let me down.
1: That's beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing a glimpse of your conversion. And I loved how you talked about that little voice, because we all have that little voice. And oftentimes, you know, we can quiet it. But this, this is a, this is wonderful.
0: Yes. And we're so blessed that you um, followed your call in medicine and, and have, you know, continued to work as a physician and helping women. And so why did you choose of all the specialties? Why did you choose OBGYN?
2: I would have said at the time, and I think to a certain degree I would still say it, that I did not choose OBGYN, but OBGYN chose me. At the time in uh, medical school, I would have said it was fate or kismet, but now I realize it was providential. God was leading me toward this pathway. So how I knew it in brass tacks was that when I was in my classroom instruction in medical school, I was riveted. I thought it was extraordinarily interesting. I had no expectation that it would be, and so I was floored by that. And then I chose to read the entire textbook from cover to cover, even though it was not required reading. I just, again, felt that it was riveting. But then you don't really get the experience of the day-to-day practice until you get onto your ward's experience, like in the hospital. And it was the only rotation where consistently I was invited to go home for the day and wanted to stay to see babies born, to see surgeries completed. And I knew that that had the magical mixture of a calling. And so I pursued it. There were lots of times I wished that I had preferred something else because of the lifestyle, but I just couldn't turn away from it. I knew that I loved it then and I still love it today.
1: You know, doctor, when people talk about women's health and reproductive issues, they oftentimes just mean abortion But as Catholic women, we know there is so much more to women's health. You know, what types of things are you seeing and treating? And, you know, what are your thoughts when people refer to women's health when they really just mean abortion?
2: That's such a great question. And actually, I would go a little bit further to say that the word women's health is actually quickly being removed from my specialty in general. The American College of OBGYNs is very supportive of non gendered language, if you will. So, for example, I get these magazines in the mail, which is our premier magazine for OBGYN called the G- Green Journal, and there will be entire research articles where the word woman isn't even used. So, I don't know what I would be considered, but I do consider myself a women's health specialist. And what that looks like is from effectively the time that a woman enters into adolescence really, she's a girl until the end of her life. I am the type of doctor who cares for women along that entire journey of reproductive health. So that can be with adolescents, with women at their well women's exams, being a partner in their health care, checking for cholesterol, ordering mammograms, doing physical exams, and then also being with them as they transition into menopause and to the, toward the, and the reproductive issues that may develop in the end of their lives. And I can care for women when any of those issues pop up specifically, you know, heavy periods, painful periods breast disturbances, infertility, hormonal disturbances, sexual disturbances, things like that.
0: So let's take a little closer look at each of these age brackets. You've kind of, you know, we, all our listeners, you know, myself, Emily, we've got teenage daughters and, you know, you take them to the pediatrician and they ask them about their periods and they ask them about, you know, they're talking about their acne. And the first thing the pediatrician wants to say is let's put you on the pill, right? So how do you treat women, you know, ethically and holistically as a, you know, when they're in those teen years and having some early GYN issues?
2: This is actually one of my all-time favorite appointments to see on my schedule is the 16-year-old girl who's coming in and has never seen a gynecologist before because I feel it is an incredible privilege to be there for these young girls as they are embarking into the world of women's health, and I just praise God for the opportunity to be with them in their journeys. If I had a girl, Whenever I have patients come in, the first thing that I always say right away when I walk in is I introduce myself and I say, you do not have to be examined today. Let's just get that right out of the way because it can be very uncomfortable to overtly medicalize the body when these girls are very oftentimes uncomfortable in their, own, in their own skin. So I don't start right away with the physical exam. Oftentimes I do go into that direction. But what I do differently is I ask very specific and pointed questions about the complaints that they're having when, they're being, uh, when it's being experienced in terms of their menstrual cycle. Is it early? Is it close to the period is during the period, are there any other symptoms that are ongoing at the same time? And then based on the symptoms, I try to pinpoint what would be the best treatment options and diagnostic tools for this girl to pursue rather than say, okay, you're having some suffering and the best way to um, resolve the suffering is to completely shut down ovulation itself. So that's just not how I go about it. I go in a more restorative pathway.
0: That's great news to hear for our girls because I know there's a lot of frustration and we're not always looking at the root of the problem, right? We just kind of patch things over and keep on moving, and then we hit, you know, their women are on the pill for 20 years and then they decide, okay, I want to have a baby, and then they can't get pregnant. So now we are, where? What do you do for those women? You know, they've come in and now they, they've been trying for a year and they have no luck getting pregnant. How can you? besides sending them to a reproductive endocrinologist, uh, start starting for those women?
2: Yes. I. There's so many things that you can offer. And one of the first things I always say is that this issue that has been discovered when the woman comes off of birth control may actually have been a problem for many years, but you just don't know if your body is capable of healthy ovulation if you don't allow it to try. So frequently we get these girls who've gotten on the pill at 17, They've had heavy, painful periods or acne, whatever it happens to be, and they're on it for a decade. And so many things can change in our health in a decade, and they can come off of the pill, and then within a few months, things can go absolutely awry, and they are very confused. Because I do think many times birth control pills can be like a bait-and-switch. Girls just are not honestly educated that just because you see a monthly bleed does not mean you're ovulating well. And in fact, birth control is trying to shut off ovulation. So I kind of use time I have an infertility consult and a woman has been on birth control, I kind of start off with that to explain this may have been ongoing and you didn't even know it. But when a woman has infertility, it's a very detail-oriented, long conversation, getting into the history of you know, prior existing menstrual problems where there are heavy periods, painful periods, is there male factor in fertility? And then you do a pretty detailed workup looking for hormonal disturbances. I check to make sure that the tubes are open and functioning. I check the partner to make sure we have good semen quality. And then you can even go deeper into inflammatory issues, um, dietary issues, and the pelvic environment, which basically um, is talking about whether or not there could be other issues in the pelvis that could impact fertility. There's a lot to offer.
1: So, you know, as we talk about um, infertility, you know, on the other time we might have an abundance of fertility. And so we have certain methods, natural family planning, and I know that you've been trained in NAPRO and FEM. You know, what was that, first of all, what was that like for you, you know, in your conversion process to hear about a church that is teaching these natural methods? And maybe you could explain a little bit more to our listener because A lot of times it feels like the the elephant in the room we don't really talk about. But I think as Catholic women, you know, we need to feel confident that, you know, we do have these tools and resources to understand our body better.
2: Yes, that's a great question. And sadly, like so many other OBGYNs, far too many, I learned precisely nothing in my residency education on natural family planning. And it was actually through my experience of patient care Women would ask me about things that I didn't know the answer to, and quite frankly, I didn't even know what they were asking me about, that opened me up to searching after NAPRO and FEM. Women would show me their menstrual charts, and sadly, I know so many Catholic women and non-Catholic women, people that are using NFP as a method of family planning, and they are just not being received well in their OBGYN offices. You know, if we're not comfortable with a subject matter, we oftentimes don't want it brought up. And so I felt very uncomfortable that I didn't know what these women were asking about. And so I started reading up into the Creighton Model System, which is an um, NFP method, and it has a specific treatment protocol called NAPRO And I looked into that, and uh, thanks be to God, around the time I decided to sort out my life and get my work life in balance with my faith life, I received a grant from the Catholic Foundation to go train in Omaha in NAPRO Technology. And around the same time, I also trained in FEM. And both of these methods are just beautiful in the fact that they work cooperatively and work very hard to figure out what is the underlying issue that is going on here so that we can restore it to proper function, rather than saying, well, if you're not actively trying to conceive at this moment, we'll just shut the whole system off, and then hopefully when you want to get pregnant, we'll have something over here, oftentimes, um, artificial reproductive technologies as the help when you're ready to make a baby, and I thought I found that that dichotomy was just very unfair. That is, either we subvert fertility and shut it off, or we just, you know, will artificially re- uh, replace it if necessary. And that was kind of how the paradigm was was set up, and, and was very fortunate to be offered training in these other methods. And I use them every single day in my practice.
1: You know, doctor, as a, a Catholic woman who's practiced natural family planning. Uh, since the beginning of my marriage, I felt like, I mean, people didn't understand what this was about. And there is such a taboo in our culture. Um, Maybe you could share a few words of through being informed on both sides, um, utilizing artificial contraception and also um, the, the gift of natural family planning, like you said, NAPRO or FEM. You know, what are some of the cautions or concerns with being on, let's say, artificial birth control for like Michelle said, 12, 20, 30 years, 40 years, um, in some of these methods?
2: I think the biggest issue is that when you are using birth control specifically, you know, I I categorize it into two different methods, the kind that suppress ovulation and the kind that don't. Um, The kinds that don't would be using things like condoms or um, IUDs, things like that. But most of the time, that's not what people are using, although IUDs are much more common now usually women are using a hormone, and this hormone is strong enough that it will suppress the brain um, and the ovary from ovulating. And the problem there is that fertility can be incredibly important. I see so many women who desire fertility, desire children, and you can lose a lot of time by not understanding that you have a fertility problem because you're not ovulating, Again, I say that birth control pills are kind of, can often be a bait-and-switch. And I mean by that by there's not appropriate education happening. When women are being given birth control, they are frequently not told how effective the method is in a very meaningful way. They're not taught what fertility looks like in terms of the discharge change that women notice, basal body temperature changes. They're not given this information in order to even detect possibly when birth control could fail, and it shuts down a normal healthy process. And sadly, if you go on for over a decade, you may completely miss the development of infertility or ovulation disturbances that when the time comes that you hope to ovulate and get pregnant, you may have missed very valuable time in order to determine what's going on. And so I think that number one, that's a huge problem. Number two, it is a systemic hormone. And there is data absolutely that the brain of our adolescents particularly continue to develop until they're 25 years old and to suppress normal healthy function of the brain and the ovary, there's actually something called an HPO axis, the hypothalamus, pituitary, and ovarian axis, excuse me, to suppress that uh, for 8 or 10 or 12 years can have very significant consequences um, at the population level um, when you're using these hormones. And I don't think that's anything to balk about There's also some question on whether or not there is some adverse events with long-term contraceptive use in regards to breast cancer, ovarian cancer, cervical cancer, and, um, did I say them all, uterine, breast, ovary, and cervix, those four. And the data is mixed on some of them. And so I think it's really important to let women have that data and to determine whether or not the risk of these drugs is worth it to them because I think it almost becomes like a rite of passage, like, oh, you're having acne, you're having some bad cramps, here's your birth control, come back to me in a decade when you want to make a baby. And I just think it can be very uh, blasé and it not, the information is not being conveyed the way it should be to give real empowerment to know what you're doing.
0: And there's been even a link with depression in the birth control pill. Is that kind of some data floating out there?
2: Yes, correct. And I think specifically when our, with our adolescents, whether or not the development of the adolescent brain is being somehow impacted by shutting down the HPO um, axis with these hormones and whether or not that continues on. Also, birth control pills can increase your rates of insulin resistance. We do have a problem with insulin resistance and development of diabetes in this country, and birth control pills work against that, and we just don't spend enough time educating people on that.
0: And as we look at this, you know, kind of on the flip side, you're talking about infertility. And then um, one thing you covered beautifully at the Catholic Bioethics Conference is, you know, people kind of start going down that rabbit hole of uh, fertility treatments. And then they've got women have frozen eggs and they don't know what to do with them. And all these, you know, ethic, ethical things that are, you know, put in front of them and they don't even know what to do, right? Because they had no idea that they were going down this, this pathway. So this, you know, if they're taking the more holistic approach that hopefully you're avoiding, right, going down that journey um, altogether.
2: Correct. That's right.
0: Well, let's also talk about Menopause, Because that's where we're at, right? We're <laughs> perimenopause, menopause, And I think I always joke and say, you know, I teach the, you know, human growth and development class in grade school. And I said, where's the class for us moms going through the transition the other way? We don't know what's going on. These things start happening to our bodies and, and we don't know what's normal, what's not, and what's going on anymore.
2: Yes, I would completely, completely agree with you. I love the topic of menopause. I used to shy away from it because I didn't have any personal experience with it. I didn't have a lot of professional experience with it when I first started out. But as I've approached that stage of of my life as well, and I've had so many wonderful relationships with my own patients, I just feel really comfortable in this lane now, not only professionally but also personally as I'm going into that direction, and I just praise God for that. But menopause is just a really unique time of life, and I think it's, it's called the change for a reason. And the things that women experience and complain about during this time period are just very unique. And oftentimes, I'm not getting the 70 year old woman who comes into me telling me that she's upset about low libido, her diminished memory, lower energy levels, you know, just a lack of sometimes mental fog. But instead, I hear about these things routinely in the decades surrounding menopause, so, you know, mid 40s into the mid 50s. And This journey of menopause, toward menopause, looks very different for all women. Many women go through the change and never need intervention, but some women can be very overwhelmed. They can have terrible hot flashes, mood disturbances. Sexual health is incredibly important. The um, changing of libido for women around the age of menopause can be very difficult for couples to navigate, and it's important for women to talk about those changes and to know that some of these things are normal, and the beautiful part, specifically relating to natural family planning, when, it's, when your fertility and sexuality is such shared decision-making, it's so beautiful, and it creates this wonderful opportunity for couples to talk about their relationship and how it's evolving in, in ongoing decades. But I'm very honored to care for women and educate them a lot, um, discuss you know dietary changes, Importance in exercise, um, how we lose our lean muscle mass, and we have what's called scale creep, where all of a sudden, you know, women are like, why am I gaining weight? I'm not eating any differently. I feel like I'm exercising the same. What's going on? All those very interesting things that are occurring around that time, I can help with.
0: All right. What's the secret? Because, yeah,
1: scale creep. <laughs> sure. let's, let's go right there. Yes, yeah, so, let's go for so
2: it. Um, women will start to lose very significantly their lean muscle mass. So, um, and I, I joke, but I'm being totally serious. Men can sleep at night and burn almost, you know, 600 calories asleep. And I think, do I burn 600 calories all day? I don't know. It doesn't feel like it. But men have an incredible amount of lean muscle mass, and lean muscle mass has a high metabolic rate. It just burns more energy. And so, those things that we used to do in our early 30s, like you know, after you have a baby, you eat some salads and you walk around the block, and the pounds just melt away. Well, that won't happen anymore. And then all of a sudden it seems like the walk around the block and the salads are how we're living in order to maintain where we are right now. And it seems very importantly that we need to be increasing our lean muscle mass. We are losing our lean muscle mass and our basal basal metabolic rates are diminishing. And so we need to be in the gym. And I think that that's something that we don't think about a lot, but we do need to increase our lean muscle mass in in terms of keeping our daily calorie expenditure where it is.
1: Thank you, Doctor. We needed to hear a little a little lecture as we're in the, <laughs> the thick of of summer and snacking. Um, you know, I think a lot of times as we talk about summer, you pick up that magazine that's at the store and it's like women's you know health or something related to that topic. And we can turn to the secular world, right? We can turn to those little tidbits. But a lot of times there's so much more truth. And maybe you could share a little bit more about you know, what it looks like as a Catholic woman navigating the secular world. You know, what do you do you know, as you are trying to digest all these different voices, especially it pertains to something as important as women's health?
2: Yes, I, right now the term self-care is really big and popular in the you know, day-to-day life. And I think actually the Church has just been miles ahead of this in a certain sense. And I think ultimately it comes down to the best self-care Is inherent in a well lived spiritual life. You know, you cannot give what you do not have. And if we want to share ourselves in a life of self sacrifice and love, you have to be rooted and grounded in what is good and true and beautiful. And I think there's, you know, this is a generalization. Not all men are like this. But as women, so often we just tend to go and we go and we go without recognizing the ways that we may be drifting away from ourselves in a day-to-day way. And I know for myself, for example, I can be in the kitchen cooking dinner, and my husband and three of my kids can be like, are you okay, Mom? And I'll say, yes, I'm fine. And clearly I'm not. There's something going on that I am just not recognizing, but the beautiful lens of my family is holding held up to me, and they're all asking me, what's going on? What's going on? And so I just have to turn around and recognize I am. I'm running dry. I'm running a little bit dry here. So I praise God, first of all, for my amazing marriage, and I can turn to my husband and say, you know, I need a minute. But also, I take the opportunity to return to the wellspring of all that is good and true and beautiful. I go back to prayer. I go back to a quiet place of restoration. And that can look different for other people, but I'll pick up an hour in front of the Blessed Sacrament. I'll go back to confession. I'll pick up a good spiritual read. And I try really hard to ask, is how I, am, how I am spending my time in the evening, my wasted time, is it restorative? And that's how I try to re- redirect myself to fill back up so I can give and give and give again.
0: Well, thank you so much for sharing that with us and for joining us on our show today. If women um, want to reach out to you, what is, your, um, what is your practice name and where can they find you?
2: Yes, I um, work in Westerville, Ohio. My practice is Westar OBGYN.
0: And what a gift you are to women. I know it's so appreciative when you go in and, and somebody understands you and is listening. So thank you. Thank you for all that you do. Thank
2: you for having me on. And I just want to take the opportunity to just say thank you to the innumerable women who I have seen as patients who have educated me, who have enlightened me and who've helped me in my life by their beautiful witnesses, their question asking, and their seeking.
0: Thank you. Let's, join, let's close in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Lord Spirit, amen. amen. Lord, I pray for women everywhere to have a solid, unshakable faith in you. Give us confidence in your word as we trust in you each day that we do not see how the path before us will unfold. Help us to follow your direction and put our hope in you. May we put our faith in you, believe in your power and truth. Amen. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, amen. Well, thank you for joining us today on Inspired by Faith. We hope you are blessed and inspired by this episode. To find out more about the Columbus Catholic Women's Conference, visit columbuscatholicwomen.com. To hear more about my and Emily's work, please be sure to check out inspirefaith.com.